to the passage here. Romans 11, uh, verse 19 down through 27. This morning, our main focus is going to be 19 through 24. And then we're going to kind of do a brief overview of verse 25 to 27. And then the aim is next week to come back and build on what we look at this morning of verse 25 through 27. And then Lord willing as well, finish out chapter 11 next week. So uh, we'll ask the Lord to go before us in that. But uh, that's kind of the plan this morning. And in chapter 9, 10, and 11, as um, we started each study like this, I'm going to do that again until we're done with 9, 10, and 11, because it's so important that we understand Paul is giving an overview here of both Jew and Gentile and their positions before God, both past, present, and future. And remember, his aim here is to educate the Gentile. That Gentile that heard of Jesus, that came to faith in Jesus Christ, he's trying to give them historical background of Israel, that they were God's chosen people, that there were promises and covenants made with them and an adoption given to them. And yet, despite her hardness of heart and only a remnant believing in Christ, God was still faithful to bring the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, through Israel. The gospel is first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. He's really laying out how outside of that remnant, they rejected Jesus. They were stumbled by him because of their own self-righteousness. Righteousness does not come. Right standing with God does not come through ourselves. It only comes through the righteous one, Jesus Christ, who lived a sinless life, who died for our sins, who rose from the grave by grace alone, through faith alone, in him alone. Can we say amen to that this morning? And he's pointing out how the Gentiles who weren't seeking him at all. In fact, they were sitting in darkness so the Gentiles would be the other nations. Though they weren't seeking for him, they heard of him. They heard the gospel. And they said, this is wonderful news. Look at the gods we serve. We make them with our hands. This is the living God you're speaking of who sent his son. He died on the cross. He rose from the grave. Look at that ancient world knew of the crucifixion the burial and the resurrection of jesus christ and when they heard the gospel the salvation had been afforded to them by grace through faith in christ they flocked to the lord that was a fulfillment of prophecy as well throughout the old testament again even when god separated abraham and he said blessed will be those who bless you cursed will be those who curse you he says through you all the families of the earth will be blessed and that was speaking of God using Israel to bring forth the Savior of the world, not just to save natural Israel, but to save all who would call upon the name of the Lord. So it was prophesied that many would come to the Lord after he came for the fulfillment of prophecy, for the salvation as many, as well as to stir natural Israel who outside of a remnant believed in the Lord would stir them to jealousy, to long for the Lord. And again, we know here at the end of the age, God has reserved seven years of time. At the end of the age that we're in right now, at the end of the church age, or when the fullness of the Gentile come in, we'll see this morning, it's a time called the Great Tribulation. It's called Daniel's 70th week the time of Jacob's trouble, that at the end of that time, there will be a remnant of natural Israel or Jews left here on earth, and they will all be saved. 
They'll all look on him whom they pierce. They will long for him and they will receive the spirit of grace. They will get born again. So Paul's been going over that in this text here, chapter 9, 10, and 11, alluding to it in other places as well, but really bringing forth this pivotal and so important doctrine here. And we'll see again this morning, in fact, we'll get to the verse we've been referring to often in these studies, that we're not to be ignorant concerning these things. Ignorant means unlearned, or it means to ignore these things. And sadly, when God says don't be ignorant concerning something, it's because there's so much ignorance concerning something. There's a lot of ignorance concerning this this morning. Even the ignorance that we saw last week of many saying God's completely done with natural Israel. And remember, Paul laid evidences out that God's not done with natural Israel. He said, I'm a Jew. And again, after Christ was crucified and risen from the dead, the Lord looked for someone to spearhead, taking the gospel out to the Gentiles. And he took the greatest persecutor of the church, the apostle Paul, who before his name was Saul, he was a member of the Sanhedrin, radically saved him and sent him out to the Gentiles. If God was done with natural Israel, Saul or the apostle Paul would have literally been the last guy on the face of the earth who God would have chose. And yet God loves doing things like that way. Aren't you glad we serve the God that we serve? And then he talked about the remnant that remained to that day. How God had used a remnant to birth the church and there was a remnant of Jews to that day, even using an Elijah as an example who thought he was the only one that was worshiping God. And God said, I have 7,000, <coughs> excuse me, who haven't bent knee to Baal. And then he talked about again, and we'll talk more about this this morning, that Gentile believers have been taken out of a wild, wild olive tree, the branches to be grafted into a cultivated olive tree whose roots are Israel built on the foundation of Jesus. And if God's done with Israel, it means those roots have been uprooted. And guess what? It throws everything in disarray because God has promised to save all Israel. And if he's done with Israel, not only is he done with them, he's done with everybody else. And then, of course, Paul also showed how the scripture teaches all Israel will be saved. That's what we're going to get to this morning in our text. All Israel, not might be saved or could be saved, all Israel will be saved. And the context clearly here is talking about natural Israel fully coming into salvation here at the end of the age. Also in our text, we're going to see concerning these things, we're not to be haughty or prideful, but to fear God, that we are not to be ignorant of these things, we're not to be wise in our own opinion, but instead to stand in the scriptures because the Lord will come out of spiritual or heavenly Jerusalem or Zion and all Israel will be saved. And then we're also taught in this, and we'll spend some time on this this morning, that they were cut off because they did not continue in the Lord. We're called to continue in the Lord. And we'll say our real saving faith absolutely always continues in the Lord because the Lord undergirds real saving faith. He builds it up. He chases it down. And yet the word speaks of many that do not have that saving faith. It talks about them not having a root. It talks about them not bearing fruits and so forth. And this is a subject matter that's huge. It's a subject matter that a lot of people grapple with and wrestle with. And you get extremes, and we'll see one extreme this morning of someone saying, you just say a prayer at any time and you're good for all eternity. We don't see that in scripture. And so we see other extremes of just like, you know, 
of, of, you don't even have a choice in the matter. If you're gonna get saved, you're gonna get saved and it's completely out of your hands. We've been touching on those things. We wanna look at what the scripture says. And we're gonna see the scripture teaches that if you call on the name of the Lord, you're chosen. If you're chosen, you call on the name of the Lord. And if you really call on the name of the Lord, there'll be trials and tribulations. But as he is your Lord, not someone you just said a prayer to to save you and then on your way, the Lord's gonna see you through. Yet again, we don't preach easy believism. We'll see this morning, we're called to continue. And it's a dangerous thing to say, well, I said this prayer and even though I'm completely apostate now, I've completely denied the Lord, I'm still right with God. And sadly, there's some, and I think they're well-intended in it, they teach that, we're gonna see that's not scriptural. That's not biblical. We wanna look to God's word in these things. And hopefully we can say amen to that. Let's read verse 19 down through 27. We've laid out a bit of where we've been and where we're going. Hopefully that will help us this morning and navigating our way down through this text. He says, you will say then branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said. Because of unbelief, they were broken off and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell severity, but on you goodness, if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise, you will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which was wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree. And then really, let's open our ears to verse 25 through 27. It's just just the key in all of what we've been looking at in these last three chapters. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So notice how verse 19 starts. You will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. And so if you were just to open your Bible and you said, what's the verse for today? And you just flipped it open and you went, boom, here it is. Any guys ever do that? I think occasionally that can be okay. I think we should be reading through the Bible in context because that can be dangerous as well. But you just open it up. It was that day. You open it up and you read, you will say then branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Hopefully you would understand that this is a response that we should have, that we're called to have based on what was said before this. And again, we kind of already touched on what was said before this, but just to make it real clear, what was said before this was again, God chose a people, Israel. God cultivated them to bring the Messiah through them. When the Lord Jesus came, according to not a few prophecies, but over 300 Old Testament prophecies in his first coming, we know a remnant of Jews believed, but even as was prophesied, the bulk of Israel did not believe. 
We're not saved through our ethnicity. We're not saved through our citizenship. We're saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those that did not believe, it says that they were, (coughs) excuse me, cut off. Those branches were severed. They were cut off that olive tree that had been cultivated. Many of Jesus's parables that he taught was he, when he was on earth was warning of that. Remember when he went to the fig tree in Passion Week to see if there was any fruit on it. He didn't see any fruit on that tree when there should have been fruit and he put a curse on that tree. They came back and it was withered. That was God talking to natural Israel. He was saying, look, you're not bearing fruit. Your faith is not there again outside of that remnant. So those natural branches were cut off and then we've been taught. Again, the gospel went out to the Gentiles that was prophesied. And these Gentiles, again, that were worshipers of idols, that were, you know what, followers of paganism who sat in great darkness. When they heard the living God had sent his son, he died for their sins. He rose from the grave and ignited great hope in the Lord. They put their trust in Jesus. They rejoiced even all the more when the apostles got it right and they taught you don't even need to become Jews first. It's directly in Jesus that you are saved. And so God took these wild olive branches and what did he do he cut those branches off that wild tree and he grafted them he grafted them into the house of god and the family of god and he grafted them in not through their works not through their efforts but by grace alone through faith alone and jesus alone to the glory of god alone and so that's what he's teaching before this specifically romans 11 15 through 18 let's just read it real quick and then we'll come back to the response he says if they being cast away again he's talking about israel the part of natural israel that did not believe if they being cast away as reconcil- reconciling reconciling of the world again those in the world who believe being reconciled to god what will their acceptance be but life from the dead and again He's bringing this, the time's coming when they will accept Christ. Resurrection will come from that. For if the first fruits is holy, the lump is holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in, grafted in among them and with them became partakers of the root, the fatness of the olive tree. So again, some didn't believe they were cut off. Gentiles believe they were grafted in and to be grafted in, it means the root still has to be there. God's not done with Israel is what he's saying here. God has an eternal plan in these things. So he says, do not boast against the branches, but if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. Now again, the new covenant is the better covenant, but it's the covenant built on the old covenant. Christianity is the fulfillment of Judaism. So you don't go, hey, Christianity's here. Now let's completely ignore and, you know, discard Judaism or what God did in the Old Testament. If you disregard that or you unhinge yourself from the Old Testament, as some liars teach today, you got a problem because guess what happens? The New Testament completely falls apart. These things go together. Again, we're supported by the root that is absolutely supported by the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, with all that said, notice 
He says, you will say then branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Again, we'll see in a second. He says, don't be haughty. There's many a haughty Gentile running around and they're haughty towards or they're prideful towards Israel. They'll even go so far to walk in full on, uh, you know, anti-Semitism. Those dirty Jews and whatnot. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. They were broken off that you could be grafted in. You need to understand this. And notice what he says, you will say then, or in other words, after you've been educated, after you've been enlightened, after you've received this teaching so you're no longer ignorant, unknowing of these things, you're no longer not knowing these things, you're no longer ignoring these things, now you notice, will say. He doesn't say, well, you know what, you should say, but if you don't, that's okay. He doesn't say, well, now it's optional whether you say God's done with Israel or not. No, no, no. Notice, he's very direct. You will say. And when God says you will say something, what should be the response of his church? I'm gonna say it, Lord. And if you say, I'm not gonna say it, now you got a problem with the Lord. Because we are called to be his people who heed his scriptures, amen. We are not called to be a people that say, well, I'm gonna read God's word, but then I'm gonna go with what I feel. Let me tell you, that's most of the world today. And it's even much of Christianum today. Look, there was a recent survey done by George Barna, who actually is no longer part of the Barna group, but he continues to do surveys and statistics. We had this uh, program on our radio station, lastdaysradio.com, and they get aired this weekend where they went out and they do this often, they'll survey the church, they'll survey pastors to see if they have a biblical worldview, which includes God's word is our authority. And sadly, what they found is the majority, not of the world, but of people who say they're evangelical, which means you follow the scripture, the majority of quote unquote evangelical Christians, and I gotta put them in quotes here, only God knows the heart, but the majority of them say, I do not honor God's word as truth. I follow my feelings and my emotions in defining truth. See, that's what's going on in our world right now. You look around like, where is this madness coming from? You know what? Oh, we teach science, but your science isn't real science. These aren't things that have been observed and seen to be true. This comes from a culture that's postmodern that says your truth, your truth, my truth, my truth. I go with my feelings. I go with my emotions. That is not the case in the body of Christ. We go with the word of God, with what the scriptures say, not with feelings, not with opinions. He says, you will say then, you will say the branches were broken off that I may be grafted in again we read it but i'll jump ahead then we'll jump back romans eleven twenty five. i do not desire brethren that you should be ignorant of this mystery that you should be unlearned that you should ignore what's being taught here lest you should be wise in your own opinion let me tell you about men wise in their own opinion versus standing in the truth of scripture first corinthians three nineteen says the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. So this is God saying, if you stand in your opinion and it contradicts God's word, God's saying, you're a fool because God's word is true. And I'll tell you, God's word liberates. The Lord said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. 
God's word is where light is found. God's word is where life is found. God's word is where eternal life is found, so on and so forth. But opinions that contradict God's word, death is found there. The deeds of the flesh are found there. Look, at victory is not found there, but defeat is found there. And if we, again, are the people of God who've put faith in Jesus Christ, it's not a thing of, well, I love the cross and what Jesus has done for me, but ooh, his word is yucky. I don't follow that. You got a real problem, an issue there. Because when you ask Jesus to be your Lord, you are saying, I yield to you as Lord. And if you're my Lord, then I'm following the word of the Lord. And you're like, I don't follow the word of the Lord. Then look, there's a good chance he is not even your Lord. Let's be real about this. Bible talks a lot about a lot of false converts. Jesus said this, John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice, I know them and they follow me. Can that be any clearer? My sheep, my sheep don't go, I hear his voice, but I'm gonna go with my inner thoughts over here. I'm gonna follow Walt Disney. He said, you know what, do whatever your heart desires. Now I'm gonna follow the word of God. They hear my voice and they follow. So in other words, they have an ear. What's God say about this? What's the scripture say? What's the word of God say about natural Israel and the end of days and so forth? I wanna follow what the scriptures say because he's my Lord. I'm a sheep in his pasture. He's my shepherd. I follow after him. Can you say amen to that this morning? Notice verse 20. Again, 19, you will say then, Branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. And notice here's probably one of the shortest sentences in the Bible. Well said, period. Well said, because of unbelief, they were broken off and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. So he says, this is speaking well. And here's the thing. When we say and mean what God says, it means we are speaking well. To speak well here in the Greek, it means to speak good versus to speak bad. It's to speak honestly versus speaking dishonestly. It's speaking in a manner that's morally upright versus speaking in a manner that's immorally underhanded. And when individuals say that God's done with natural Israel, they are speaking in a way that's bad, a way that's dishonest, and a way that's immorally underhanded. Ephesians 4.29 says, let no corrupt word proceed from your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to its hearers. And notice verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And if you wanna say, I'm gonna shun God's word, I'm gonna go with my opinion, I'm gonna go with my own ways, especially when you become learned concerning something, you are going to grieve the work of the Holy Spirit of God in your life. And us as a fellowship, we've been educated in these things. Look, at we've know, we know these things now. We've been taught these things. And you're like, oh man, natural Israel again. Pfft, God's done with that, those dirty Jews. You are grieving the Holy Spirit of God Almighty. We are called to lay down our opinions and to take up the word of God. So he says, well said. And then he says, again, because of unbelief, they were broken off. You stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear so when a gentile recognized he is saved really in part because of israel's unbelief that's speaking well because here's the thing when christ came if all israel would have believed 
we wouldn't have this dispensation that we're in right now. Do you understand that? You recognize that? In Daniel 70 weeks, all Israel is going to get saved, and then the millennial reign of Christ is going to be ushered in. They didn't believe. God used that for the good of the Gentile. He said, then I'm going to have this whole age of the Gentiles, the church age, and I'm going to use it to save millions and millions and millions of Gentiles, and that is coming because Israel's unbelief. So I'm going to take their unbelief and give an opportunity for many Gentiles to believe. As well in that, I'm going to stir them to jealousy during that time of the church age. Again, natural Israel outside of that remnant that believed was broken off because of unbelief in Jesus and belief in self-righteousness, which never brings righteousness. It only comes through faith in Christ. And again, those that are Gentiles, they were blessed through Abraham, through Israel, and have been grafted in, as well as now are being used to provoke Israel to jealousy. Romans ten nineteen, Moses says, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. Romans eleven eleven, but through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. And then in verse 13, Paul says, I speak to you Gentiles and as much as I'm an apostle to the Gentiles that I may magnify my ministry. And we talked about this last week, how again, Paul, who if God was done with Israel, would not have been God's choice to take the gospel to the Gentiles, this great persecutor of the church. But God doing the way, things the way he does it, I love it. He says, I'm gonna select the least likely guy, I'm gonna get him saved, and then I'm gonna send him out to the Gentiles he would go to the Jew first everywhere he went. He'd go to the synagogue. Usually a few would believe, most wouldn't believe. And then he says, now I'm going to the Gentiles in your community. And instead of them just saying, whatever, dude, you're crazy. We don't care. Go do whatever. It drove them crazy. At every turn, they wanted to kill Paul. The bulk of the persecution that he received was at the hands of the Gentiles. You know why? They were jealous. They saw the Holy Ghost working in those Gentiles. They saw people getting saved. They saw people getting set free. They saw people getting healed. They saw lives change. They saw Gentile communities completely transformed through faith in Jesus Christ. And they were over here like a desolate, powerless house. Indeed, they were. And they're like, well, look what they have. Look, oh, they, were, they were jealous. Let's continue to this day. I'd say that jealousy is going to peak during the great tribulation. It really is. So again, they have fallen through unbelief, but notice we stand through belief, through faith. Again, John 3, 18, this is real simple. He who believes in him is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already. Jew or Gentile, we are saved through faith in Christ. And if we don't believe, we are under condemnation. So with this said, he says, don't be haughty. Don't be high-minded. He's saying here, don't esteem yourself, in this case, above natural Israel. Don't be a Gentile believer who boasts against Israel. This says God's finished with natural Israel. We don't speak those opinions. When we say that, we are not speaking well. We are not speaking biblically. We're speaking in a manner that grieves the spirit of God. We're speaking in a manner that's prideful, ignorant, and foolish as we've already established in our Bible study. And look at, you may say, well, it's not a big deal. Well, Proverbs 16, 18 says, 
Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And James 4, 16 says, God resists the proud, but praise God, it gives grace to the humble. So he's saying, humble your heart in these things, ma'am. Take up the mantle of scripture in these things. And he says, move with fear. Is he talking about being just fearful in general? No, move in the fear of God. And here's the thing. Where there's the fear of God, there is faith in God and his word. Don't tell me you fear God if you value your opinion over God's word. You don't fear God whatsoever. You don't reverence God. One that reverence God, believes God's word, and is yielded to God's word. Proverbs 15, 33, the fear of the Lord is instruction of wisdom and before honor is humility. So you humble your heart. You say, I'm gonna heed God's word. But here's the thing, honor comes from that. God's the giver of life, not the enemy with his own opinions, not fallen man who contradicts God's word at every turn. So to fear God is to receive instruction from God. It's getting educated by the word of God and saying, yes, I want my mind renewed. It's also departing from evil. Proverbs 8, 13, for the fear of the Lord is to hate evil pride and arrogance and the evil way and he says the perverse mouth i hate and it's a perversity to put our own opinion above god's word and sadly you look around the landscape of our world today sadly you look around the landscape of christianum today and there's so many that put their opinion above god's word and here's the thing that is a perverse mouth that god hates i hope that we're not a fellowship like that I don't believe we are. I think we're a people that want to get in God's word. Let's not be haughty in that though. And let's not be a thing where it's like, well, yeah, with 99% of this, but that 1% goes away, my, goes against my itch over here. So I make a provision. No, we yield to God's word at every turn. And if it's a thing I'm having a hard time yielding at the minimum say, yeah, but I believe God's word's true. So Lord, come and do a work in my life and bring me to my knee in this area so that the Holy Spirit would be poured out upon me. And I won't waste my life here with the aimless conduct of those that follow their own opinions. Can we say amen to that this morning? Look at Proverbs 14, 27. If you need more encouragement, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. So it's good. It's good to have that love for God, that reverence for God and his word. He says, do not be haughty, but fear. Notice 21, for if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Look at God is gracious. God is merciful, but God doesn't play. Israel's pride and unbelief broke them off. And he says, your pride and unbelief may break you off if you don't fear God. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. See, look at, as believers, as the church, we love taking on the grace of God, don't we? Oh, the grace of God. We love the mercy of God. We love our salvation and we should. But here's the thing, we take that on, we rejoice in that, but make no mistake, we've also taken on the responsibility of standing in, proclaiming, and stewarding God's word, not peddling our own opinion. And we, we, we make light of his truth, we shun his truth, or we put our opinions over his truth, there are consequences. Notice 1 Timothy 
3, 15. He says, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. This is not the pillar and ground of opinion. This is the pillar and the ground of truth, of the word of God. And here's the thing. If God's word quits or God's people quit holding up God's word, our culture's in big trouble. And I'll tell you, the big troubles in this culture, it goes back to so many pulpits not holding up God's word. Praise God for those that continue to do that. But it's becoming more and more just a small remnant. Let's get back to the truth of God's word. Can we say amen to that this morning? First Peter four seventeen. the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. So again, if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. So look at it. Looking at this thing, is this saying this is a salvation issue? I got a twofold response to that. The minimum it is saying, it's an issue not to take lightly, as is the case with all of God's word. And more so it is a warning that as we have begun in faith in Jesus for our salvation, it is imperative that we continue to do so. And here's the thing we're gonna see. Hang with me over these next few minutes because I might say something, we might read something that gets your head spinning. Hang with me through this. We're developing and laying out doctrine here. Look at saving faith True faith in Jesus will always continue because God will undergird it. God will chase it down. But false faith, false conversions through easy believism that's addressed throughout the scripture, it always wavers. It doesn't continue. It's not grounded in truth. It doesn't bear those fruits of the Holy Spirit. The New Testament addresses this over and over and over. And it's even seen in Old Testament Israel. Because in just about every generation, they all went down to the temple. They all honored the Sabbath, the various things and the way they felt to honor it, not in God's, according to God's word. It was always only a remnant that believed, but all of them thought they believed. And time and time again, you see God rebuking them through the true prophets who would say, look at your worship's lip service. God doesn't even receive it. Those were the prophets they booed and hissed. Boo, get rid of this guy. And yet they had many false prophets saying, you're all good. You know, what you're doing is good. Doesn't that sound a lot like today in the church? Where Jeremiah says, the prophets prophesy falsely and the people love it that way. When you're, you go run across someone who calls themselves a prophet and all they do is talk about how rich you're gonna be and how everything's gonna grow for you. Look, at that's a sure sign of a false prophet because most prophets in the scripture, they're rebuking people. They're saying, you need to turn from this. You need to get going with the Lord. Pretty much the pattern throughout God's word. And it's not that they're saying bad things. They're saying good things are found in the Lord, but not in the ways of the world. Notice verse 22. Therefore, consider the goodness and the severity of God. So he says, consider this. Don't just toss this to the side. Again, we don't toss the Old Testament out. We learn from it. These things were written for example, 1 Corinthians 10, 11. He says, on those who fell severity, but towards you goodness, if you continue in his goodness, otherwise you will be cut off. Again, outside of that remnant that believed, most of natural Israel was cut off because of their unbelief. They were severed. They were cut away. 
David said that would be the case at the coming of Messiah. Again, Romans 11, 9, David says, he prophesied this, let their table be a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and recompense to them. Let their eyes be darkened so they do not see and bow down their back always. And then Jesus, Jesus in Passion Week, as he's going to the cross a few days later, he cries out in Matthew 23, 27, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. He's talking to natural Israel here. He doesn't say, oh, New York, New York. Notice, New York, New York. No, he says, that was way off key. The allergies here. Not that I could get it if I didn't have the allergies. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Notice, the one who kills the prophets and stones those sent to her. It's always only a remnant that believed. How often I wanted to gather you together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing and then he says, see, your house is left to you desolate. In other words, because you have not believed, you are cut off. And then note he says, though there's hope, for I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is you who comes in the name of the Lord. And indeed, that day's coming when natural Israel say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But he's saying until then, and again, in context outside of that remnant, your house is left to you desolate. You're cut off. Doesn't matter that you're a Jew. Doesn't matter you were given the law. You didn't put faith in Christ and all that stuff was pointing to Christ. You're not saved by your own works or deeds or self-righteousness. We're saved by grace through faith in the Lord. So you're cut off because you don't have faith in him. That's a, that's, a, that's a severe thing to be severed off, to cut away. He says, but towards you, goodness. So again, they were broken off, but Gentiles that believe it's goodness because you have been grafted in. The word goodness means excellent, gentleness, kindness. Go read John 15. I'm not gonna read it this morning, but read John 15. It's about Jesus declaring, I'm the vine and you're the branches. And if you abide in me, what's he say? You'll bear a little bit of fruit. No, you'll bear much fruit. In other words, your life will be radically different if you abide in me. And that starts by putting faith in Jesus. We get cultivated in. The Holy Spirit starts working in our lives. And as we abide in him, which means to dwell with him, to live with him, we're a people of the word, a people of worship, a prayer, of fellowship. There is much fruit in our life. He even says, whatever we ask will be given to us. Because we're not asking out of a heart of carnality or based on our opinion. We're abiding in the Lord, so we're asking according to the heart and mind of the Lord. He says, if you continue by faith in his goodness, but if you don't continue by faith, you'll be cut off. To continue means to abide, to remain, to persevere. It's key in this. To be cut off to be, to, be, to be chopped down. Look, at here's the thing. When someone gets saved, it's not, I call on the Lord, be my Lord. Okay, I'm saved. Now I walk away and do what I want to do, when I want to do it, according to how I want to do it. Oh, but I said that prayer way back then. But over here in real life, I just do whatever I want to do. I follow my opinion. I follow my heart. I follow my feelings. Look, at that's not salvation. 
We call on the Lord. That means he is my Lord. Not for a 30-second prayer. He is my Lord all of my days. You understand that? When you say, Jesus, be my Lord, you're saying, be the Lord of my life. You're saying, be my God. Be my master. Lead me, direct me, guide me. I put my faith in you. And ain't this, again, easy believism. Hey, look at, let's go out. Say this 30-second prayer. Jesus, come to my heart, forgive me of my sins. You're saved now. Okay, I'm going down to the strip club. But that's peddled, that's preached. It's a very, very dangerous thing. This is why we gotta take the Bible in its full context here. Look at those who walk away, don't continue. Most likely were never saved in the first place. They're cut off. The Lord said this concerning Israel, but there's application to the fruitless believer today. The person that again says, I believe in Jesus, yet there's no fruits of the spirit. There's just works of the flesh. And again, this is where we got to examine our own heart. Jesus said in Luke 13, six, a certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. And he says, cut it down. Why does it use up ground? But he answered and said to him, look at God's grace here. Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it, fertilize it. And if it bears fruits well, if it bears fruit well, but if not after that, you can cut it down. God was, the Lord speaking to Israel there. He says, I'm waiting and I've waited and I've waited for you to bear fruit. And now I'm right here before you. And unless you start bearing fruit and fruit comes from really believing, you're gonna get cut down. And she got cut down that didn't believe. That branch got cut off. Paul's saying here, you need to learn from this. They didn't continue and were cut off. If you don't continue, you will be cut off. But notice 1 John 2, 18, little children, it is the last hour. You've heard that the, again, stay with me with this. You've heard it's the last hour and the Antichrist is coming. Even now many Antichrists have come by which we know it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not with us. For if they had been with us, they would have, notice the word there, continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. They would have abided. They would have endured Look at it again. Easy believism is taught nowhere in the scriptures. Charles Stanley, and I think Charles Stanley teaches a lot of good things, but in this area, he's way off. And I grabbed him as an example because he wrote these things. He didn't say them in a sermon where it was like, I misspoke. Compare this to scripture. God does not require a constant attitude of faith in order to be saved, only an act of faith in Christ. Even if we die in a completely reprobate state, cursing God and rejecting any relationship with him, we should still spend eternity in his presence. Stanley further states, quote, believers who lose or abandon their faith will retain their salvation for God remains faithful. And even if, a believer for all practical purposes becomes an unbeliever whose salvation is not in jeopardy. You can, give, you can give back only if the giver accepts the return. In case of salvation, God has a strict no-return policy. 
Now, if someone's really saved, I believe in that. But if someone really is really saved, they're gonna continue with the Lord. Notice Luke 8, 15. The ones that fell on good ground are those who having heard the word with a noble good heart, kept it and bore fruit with patience. We'll come back to that thought in a second. Acts 14, 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received and which you stand, by which you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And then notice Hebrews 10, 35 through 39. Follow along here. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. Talk about confidence in Christ. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise for yet a little while and he who is coming will come and not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not those who draw back to perdition, but those who believe to the saving of the soul. Saving faith is a continuing faith The good news is God will always undergird true faith to continue. He builds it up. He also chases it down. Notice what the Lord said about those with genuine faith. John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice. I know them, they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Romans 14, 4. Who are you to judge another servant to his own master he stands or falls? Indeed, he will be, noticed made to stand. God is able to make him stand. Thank you, Lord, for that. And then 2 Timothy 4, 18, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom to him to be, be glory forever and ever, amen. So that's talking about someone with real faith. They might have ups, they have downs, even in their dark days, look at, they might even begin to question, but God sees them through, brings them through that prodigal, you know, process. But the guy who says, I said this prayer, there's never a lick of fruit in their life. They become a complete apostate, cursing God. The Bible addresses that. They don't continue in their faith. Notice Mark four sixteen. These likewise are the ones on the stony ground who, when they heard the word, immediately they received it with gladness. They said the prayer. Now they have no root in themselves. So they endure for only a time afterwards when tribulation or persecution arises for the world's sake, immediately they stumble. Then notice verse 18. Now these are the ones sown among the thorns. They're the ones that hear the word and the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter and choke the word and it becomes, notice, unfruitful. Why? It's not abiding in the vine. Here's the thing. We need to ask ourselves the question, is my faith legitimate? Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.15, examine yourself whether you are in the faith. And if it is, are you continuing in faith? Are you abounding in faith? Or is your faith drifting? Hebrews 2.1, therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, notice, lest we drift away. 
Notice 23, and we're gonna overview these last verses. We'll come back to them, Lord willing, next week. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if you are not cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more, notice, will these who are natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? So again, he's saying here, God is able to graft natural Israel in again to the one that says, you know what, in times past, oh, they're too scattered, God can't do that. Again, many a good writer in other generations. God's completely done with Israel. Look at bro, you have a lack of faith. God's not done with natural Israel. Oh, but they wrote in the 1500s, so everything they said is true. They're wrong about that. God has regathered Israel. Go get a map. He's regathered her. And it's the lead up to grafting her in. Please go read Ezekiel 37, 38, and 39. He's gathered the bones together and he's soon gonna breathe life into her. And here's the thing, he's saying, look it, you were cut out of a wild tree, you were grafted into a cultivated one. How much easier for God to take branches that are part of that cultivated tree and graft them in? And the time is coming when that will happen as again, Salvation, as we read early in Romans chapter 116, is first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Now notice verse 25. I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. Paul is writing this under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So as Paul says, I desire this, this is the Holy Spirit desiring this. Lest you should be wise in your own opinion that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles have come in. So don't be ignorant. Don't be not knowing concerning this, uneducated. Don't ignore this. Oh, they're talking about this stuff. I'm gonna ignore it. I'm checking out. I don't wanna hear this. You're going against what God says here. It's a grieving of the spirit of God. Don't be ignorant of this mystery. And listen, it's it's, it's awesome how many biblical mysteries become unmysterious if you get into God's word. And we study to show ourselves approved. He says, lest you be wise in your own opinion. Again, wise in your opinion concerning natural Israel and all natural Israel being saved. And yet there's so many opinions in the church and in the world who, when it comes to natural Israel that contradict God's word. I laugh at this because... Look, you got a, a large swatch of our culture that is completely progressive and liberal. They don't follow anything that's factual. They don't follow God's word. They follow their feelings and then they even call it science. And when it comes to Israel, they hate Israel. They're a pack of anti-Semitics that stand up and say, we're inclusive of everybody. They despise Israel. And what I find interesting though, there's also a big swatch of conservatives that call we're truthers you know they're always online in their chat rooms and stuff and there's some truth there they talk about but we're truthers and we know all the problems in the world are those zionists and surely god's done with those jews because they crucified christ you know what i find hilarious those groups are adamantly opposed to one another except when it comes to them collectively being opposed to israel so if you fall into one of those categories and you despise Israel, you're partnering with the people that you despise. Because I know if you despise Israel, 
you're despising others too because those fruits of the flesh just multiply. We're not to call to be Laodicea wise in our own opinion. We're not to be like Elijah. Even we read this earlier in Romans. He fled from Jezebel. He was in a cave. God, what are you gonna do with these Israelites? I'm the only one who believes. He was just saying, you're done with Israel. And God said, I have 7,000 who haven't bent knee to Baal. That was the divine response. The divine response was, I am not done with Israel. The response that's not divine, that's human, is God's done with Israel. That's not speaking well, that's speaking wickedly. Again, he's always had a remnant. And notice what he says. Do not be ignorant, do not be wise in your own opinion that blindness in part, there's a remnant who believes that blindness in part has happened to Israel until. So the day's coming when the blindness will be gone until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. We're at a time right now called the church age. It's the time of the Gentiles. Paul or Jesus, Jesus or John writes seven letters to the churches in Revelation. We're in that time. He says, after these things, and then the great tribulation starts in Revelation. When the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, when there's that last Gentile believer in the church age, the, the tribulation will start where God will deal with Israel. And he talks about it through scripture. Daniel's 70th week, the great tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble. It's prophesied throughout the book of Daniel, Daniel 9. The Lord said, if you wanna understand end times, you can't be ignorant. You gotta go read the book of Daniel. You gotta understand Daniel 9. But there's many an ignorant Gentile running around not knowing these things twisting it all up they got it all wrong again even the tribulation saints are not part of the church we've seen this so clear in revelation they don't got they don't get resurrected bodies until after the physical coming of the lord meanwhile the church physically comes back with the lord they don't sit on thrones they don't have crowns they don't judge the nations it's as clear as can be in the scripture. So the divine response is God's not done. And when God's done with the church age, that's why if you lead someone to the Lord, you need to step back. Is it the rapture? And God's gonna give all the time needed for all of those who he knows is gonna call on him on this side of the tribulation to call on him. And then notice verse 26. And we'll come back to these verses next week. And so all Israel doesn't say might, doesn't say could be, doesn't say what if, all Israel will be saved, man. This is the New Testament. And yet many run down, God's done with Israel. He's talking about spiritual Israel. No, we read in context, he's talking about natural Israel, the natural branches cut off. All Israel will be saved. Can we say amen to that? As it says there in Zechariah 13, he's talking about this remaining remnant. One third will make it through the great tribulation. And then he says, they will call on my name. I will answer them. I will say, this is my people. And each one will say, the Lord is my God. And did not Jesus say, your house will be desolate until you call upon the name of the Lord. This is Old Testament. The deliverer will come out of Zion. He'll turn away the unrighteousness of Jacob for this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Who's that deliverer coming out of Zion? It's the Lord Jesus Christ coming out of the heavenly Jerusalem. And in Jude 14, it says, behold, the Lord comes with 10,000s of his saints to execute judgment. 
That's the church coming back with the Lord to execute judgment. But Jacob will be saved. Notice Jeremiah 30, verse seven, alas, the day is great, so there's none like it. And at the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. Again, make no mistake, the great tribulation is about Israel coming to faith in God because God is faithful to his promises and covenants. And if he's done with Israel, he's done with all of us. We need to wrap this up and just go pursue aimless conduct, eat, drink, and marry, because tomorrow we die. The deliverer, notice, will come. Not he might come, he could come. We'll see if he comes. The deliverer will come. He'll turn Jacob or Israel away from ungodliness. He said, I got a covenant with them to take away their sins. That's not gonna be through the blood of bulls and goats. It's through the blood of Christ, their Messiah, who they will put faith in. They're gonna see him whom they pierced. It's a double prophecy. We'll close on this verse. Zechariah 12, 1, or 12, 11. And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, notice here, the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierce. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. This is a double prophecy. They saw him the first time he was crucified. A few mourned, most didn't. The spirit of grace only came on a remnant. But when he comes back, all of natural Israel, that remnant, they're gonna look on Christ. They're gonna mourn for him. They're gonna get born again and receive the spirit of grace. And I'll tell you, it's mind boggling how in these days we are living. We're living in biblical times. When God regathered Israel, biblical times. All of the prophecies that are, have unfolded are unfolding in Israel. It's biblical times. That's why I say, look, if you go to Israel, go, you're gonna see firsthand fulfilled prophecy. When you see the bursting forth of fruit there in every single field, from literal fields to fields of commerce and technology and so forth, when previously in recent history, it was a complete wasteland. That's God working. That's God getting things ready for the end of the age. This, this is... This is to me, and, and, and maybe I'm up here just talking to myself, but it's as clear as, I don't think you can get any clearer than this. And yet men in their own opinions distort it. Let's that, let, let that not be us. Let's stand up and close in prayer here. Heavenly Father, we bless you. We praise you this day, God. We thank you for your great goodness, God. We just thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness, God. I thank you, Lord, that you are our God, our Lord, and our King. Lord, let our faith be found a faith abounding, God. Lord, a faith abiding, a faith continuing, Lord. Let us indeed be like those disciples. Even when we're tempted to go elsewhere, we say there's nowhere else to go. You have the words of life. And Lord, let us be found a people, Lord, forsaking our opinions and even crucify them when they contradict the word of God. We pray for the peace of Israel today, God. We know in praying that we're praying for the coming of the Lord. I thank you that you're long suffering, not wanting any to perish, God, and your timetable's perfect. 
I also thank you, Lord, that in this day, in this day, it's a day of salvation. And if you haven't called on the Lord today, you need to get saved. That happens not through, again, our good works, but acknowledging we're sinners and asking Jesus who lived a sinless life, who died for our sins and rose from the grave, asking him to forgive us, asking him to be the Lord of our life, our God, our King, all of our days. Have you called on his name? If you have, praise God for that. Continue in him. If you haven't, look it. You need to call on him today. Maybe you recognize this morning, yeah, I said a prayer, but I've never really called on the Lord if I'm gonna be truthful about it. We have security in the Lord, but listen, we gotta be in the Lord. That's you calling him now. Calling him now. We thank you, we praise you, Lord. Help us to finish well with our voice lifted to you. Let's praise God as we close here.
Amen. I pray God just richly blesses you and shines his face on you and just meets you at every turn and every area of your life. God bless you in the Lord Jesus.